Welcome to the Vanguard Church Podcast. You're about to hear a sermon from Vanguard Church Central in the heart of Colorado Springs. With every message, it's our prayer that you hear and learn how to live out your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. May your faith be strengthened, your hope increased, and your heart inspired to live for Jesus no matter the cost. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. morning, Vanguard. It is great to be with you today. Um, for those of you guys who don't know me, I am Pastor Micah. I'm the student's pastor here, um, and I'm just really honored to be able to be here with you guys today. Um, I'm going to miss my students, but they're in the good hands of Candace Kovac today. So um, I get to be with you guys, and I just want to say thank you guys so much for your guys' support for students. Um, it's been really encouraging to me seeing you guys come alongside us um, and if you guys could donate to that garage sale, that makes a really big difference for us. Um, so the garage or the camp that we go to keeps increasing in prices. Um, and unfortunately, most people's paychecks don't go up with inflation. Uh, I'm sure some of you guys have felt that. But that puts a lot of pressure on students and their parents, um, especially for families with multiple kids. Um, so if you guys could consider just praying for us and trusting God with the finances, we've cut the prices for students so that they can go to camp, but they'll still need to come up from somewhere. Um, so that's what some of the fundraiser is. Um, and as I was looking at it, if every adult who came to service today gave $80 once, we wouldn't have to charge the students a penny to go to camp. Um, and if you guys each gave $50 once, uh, we wouldn't have to do any fundraising for students and we'd be able to cover all of our costs. So if you guys are interested in prayerfully considering supporting students through that, uh, you can find me after or go on the Church Center app for student camp funds, um, and that would be a big blessing for us. Um, and since I'm the student pastor and I'm preaching today, I get to share that plug in front of you guys. So um, we are really thankful for your guys' support for students. Um, and if you guys haven't seen what's going on in students, the Holy Spirit's been moving greatly, um, and I've just been able to see a lot of growth and spiritual uh, maturity in a lot of our students. So if you guys could join me in continuing to pray for them as they're pursuing Jesus, um, I'd love that. But today, um, we get to jump into Ezekiel 40 and continuing in the book of Ezekiel. Now, a couple months ago, Pastor Kelly was saying about our next year's teaching series, and he felt very strongly that we should start the year with Ezekiel. And that got me excited because I was like, no one preaches through Ezekiel. And there's really fun things like flying thrones and crazy visions and really weird things that Ezekiel's called to do. And I've never heard anyone preach on it. So I was really excited. And they're like, Micah, we're going to have you preach in Ezekiel. And I got slightly less excited because I was like, I want to go through it, but I don't know if I want to go through it, you know? And then, so I was kind of excited, started to get a little bit nervous. And then I looked at my passage and it got a lot worse. So if you look just really quickly at like Ezekiel 40, um, 
I'll just start in verse five so you can see what I was dealing with as I was prepping my sermon. It says, I could see a wall completely surrounding the temple area. The man took a measuring rod that was 10 and a half feet long and measured the wall and the wall was 10 and a half feet thick and 10 and a half feet high. Then he went over to the Eastern gate. He climbed the steps and measured the threshold of the gateway. It was 10 and a half feet front to back. Then there were guard alcoves on each side built into the gateway passage. Each of those alcoves was 10 and a half square feet and the distance between them was eight and three quarters feet along the passage wall. The gateway's inner threshold, which led to the entry room at the inner end of the gateway passage, was 10 and a half feet from front to back. He also measured the entry room to the gateway. It was 14 feet across and with supporting columns three and a half feet thick. This entry room was at the inner end of the gateway structure facing toward the temple. Now I started to read that and I thought, I have 40 of these verses that are all just numbers and measurements. And I got a lot less excited about my sermon. Um, so I was like, God, what in the world could you possibly have me say about all of these measurements? And I thought, okay, if we're doing Ezekiel's temple, maybe I'll get Ezekiel 43 and get to talk about the presence of God returning to the temple. It's like, no, you get Ezekiel 40. And I was like, is at least the river of life in that section? Nope, it's just all the measurements. So I sat there and I was like, God, what in the world could you possibly have to say to us through these measurements? And as I wrestled with it, I started to study because I was like, ah, maybe somebody else has a good idea out there. And as I started to look at it, nobody agrees on anything with Ezekiel's temple. This group's like, oh, it's purely metaphorical and it's just to like get God's point across. Other people are like, it's actually supposed to resemble Solomon's temple, even though none of the measurements line up. Other people say, oh, Ezekiel was supposed to help build this and the Israelites just ignored God's commandment. Other people are saying, no, it's gonna be the end times temple or the millennial reign temple. And then other people are like, there's not even a millennial reign, so it can't exist then. And I was, I was looking, I was like, how in the world are we supposed to interpret this scripture when nobody seems to agree on it? And so as I was looking at it, I thought, God, I can't do this on my own. I need your help to lead and guide me in prepping this sermon because I want to preach what you want me to preach. And I started to look at Ezekiel and I wanted to focus on a couple of the themes in Ezekiel. So I started in Ezekiel 1, and there's this really crazy vision. Ezekiel's standing by the river. We went over this a long time ago, back in January. We've been in Ezekiel for quite a while. And there's this vision of the Lord on some flying throne, flying through the sky with all these weird creatures. And to us, we're like, wow, crazy vision. What does that have to do with me? But you see, at the time, most of the people's gods were incredibly tied down to their building. The presence of their God was in their temple. But God wanted to show that he wasn't like all the other gods. He was a God of the people, not some temple. God wanted to prove to the Israelites that I am your God and you are my people and I will dwell with you. So when I send you into exile, I'm gonna go with you and you will still have my presence even in exile. The point of Ezekiel was, I am with you, I am your God, and I'm going to bring you back to me. So if that's part of the point of Ezekiel, and then he says over and over and over, then you will know that I am the sovereign Lord. Then you will know me. If that's the point of Ezekiel, I think we need to interpret the rest of it in light of that. So how does Ezekiel's temple show us that God is bringing us back to him and being our God? And I started to look at it and I was like, all right, well, that's helpful. Um, and then Ezekiel 10, one through four caught my eye. 
And it says, on April 28th, during the 25th year of our captivity, 14 years after the fall of Jerusalem, the Lord took hold of me. In a vision from God, he took me to the land of Israel and set me down on a very high mountain. From there, I could see toward the south what appeared to be a city. As he brought me nearer, I saw a man whose face shone like bronze and standing beside a gateway entrance. He was holding in his hand a linen measuring rod, cord and a measuring rod. He said to me, son of man, watch and listen. Pay close attention to everything I show you. You have been brought here so that I can show you many things. Then you will return to the people of Israel and tell them everything you've seen. Now, I could almost just write a message just off of that. As God reveals something to Ezekiel, he says, watch and listen. So we need to be watching and listening for God moving. And then he says, pay close attention to everything and then return to the people and tell them everything you've seen. And I thought, man, that would make a great sermon. Those four points right there, just from the one verse. But then you guys wouldn't understand the temple at all. But as I looked at that, I really felt like God was saying, watch and listen, there's something here. You got to pay close attention and I want this to be shared. I'm taking up several pages of your Bible, chapters 40 to 48, to talk about this temple. I'm spending a lot of time on it. It's important for you. It was important for Ezekiel and the people of his time and it's important for us as well. And so that kind of led me to this question as I was wrestling with God what do all these measurements have to say? And then seeing that God has something specific that he wants us to watch and listen for. So my question for today, as you might see on your programs is, what does Ezekiel's temple vision have to do with us? Because when I started, I had no idea. It's like all of these measurements, what do I even speak on? And God brought to mind 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. This is one that where a lot of us are familiar with, but it says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Now we like to read this verse and say, well, maybe some scripture is inspired by God. Or a lot of us will even say all scripture is inspired by God, but only some scripture is important for training us to do good works. Because how could temple sacrifices or Ezekiel's temple description train us to be the people who God has made us to be? But if we take the Bible at its word, it says all scripture is. So I started to pray and I said, Jesus, if all scripture is about you and points to you and all of it is profitable for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness, how does Ezekiel's temple? And as I studied a little bit more, Acts 20 through 27 stood out to me and it said, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul was ending his last missionary trip and going back to Jerusalem, and he would be taken into captivity there. So he's going away, and he has one last conversation with the elders of Ephesus. And what he says is, I didn't hold back from teaching you the whole counsel of God. And that's one of the things I love about Vanguard is we're teaching through the whole counsel of God. We're not reaching these points in Ezekiel and being like, well, that's a little bit harder than I want to do, so we'll just skip this chapter. We're teaching the whole counsel of God because all of it is important. And that leads me to my first point for today of why does it, what does Ezekiel's temple vision have to do with us? All scripture is important and applicable to our lives. All scripture is important and applicable to our lives. Now, 
I feel this way firmly about every sermon and could start every sermon with starting that foundation. But I thought that was particularly important for Ezekiel's temple. Because we as Christians oftentimes get to these difficult passages and go, I'm going to read it so I can say I did and then I'll move on. But I don't understand it. But if it's all important, the Holy Spirit wants us to sit there and say, what do you have for me through this? What do you want to tell me? Because all scripture is important and applicable. And so as I kind of set that foundation with God, I started to say, okay, well then, what are you trying to say? And Ezekiel 40 really stood out to me. And I wanted to read this particularly in the ESV because some of the language is helpful. It says, in the 25th year of our exile, at the beginning of the year, on the 10th day of the month and the 14th year after the city was struck down, on that very day, the hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me to the city. Now, at first I thought, great, timestamp, Ezekiel's telling us when he saw this, moving on. But the Holy Spirit stopped me and he said, no, there's something here. There's something really important that you're just skipping over. Look at this. It's the beginning of the year. Something new is starting. We're starting fresh at the beginning of something. And so I was like, great, new beginning, moving on. And the Holy Spirit said, no, look at this, the 10th day of the month. And I thought, what? Why does the 10th day of the month matter? Like, sure, it's just another day. It's not. It's not just another day. The 10th day of the first day of the month was when the Passover lamb was selected for the Israelites. And they were called to protect and keep the Passover lamb safe and without blemish until it could be sacrificed for Passover. Jesus on Palm Sunday was the 10th day of the month when Israel chose Jesus and welcomed and celebrated him saying, Hosanna in the highest, like we celebrated recently. They chose their Passover lamb and kept him safe until he had to perform the sacrifice for the sins of, their, of the people. It's a day of new beginnings. It's also the day that started the Exodus. So God said, you will be my people and I will be your God and I will dwell among you. This day when you choose the lamb is going to start the Exodus where I am creating you as a nation and bringing you to myself. God was doing something new with the people of Israel. And it was really cool because it doesn't end there. Israel entered into the promised land under Joshua. They crossed over the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. So as Ezekiel sitting in exile saying, God, where are you in all of this? God says, just as I created Israel to be my people through the Exodus, just as I brought them in through the promised land on the 10th day of the first month, I am doing something new. There's something beginning to happen here. And Ezekiel would have noticed that immediately. Look at Ezekiel 40, 31. It says, The entry room to the south gateway faced into the outer courtyard. It had a palm tree decorations on its columns, and there were eight steps leading to its entrance. And at first I was like, okay, there's just more details, more numbers. And God started to say, no, but I work through numbers. I communicate through numbers to you. So why is the number eight important? Eight is a number of new beginnings. In seven days, God created the world, and on the seventh day, he rested. The eighth day started a new week. Going back to Holy Week, Jesus went into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He died on Friday and rose again to conquer sin, death, and the grave on Sunday, the eighth day a day of new beginnings, of new relationship between God and man because of what Jesus did on the cross. 
So everything in this temple, God is saying, look, there's importance in these details. I am doing something new. Isaiah 43 reaffirms that when he says, for I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? It will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in a dry wasteland. We finished last week in chapter 39 with Gog and Magog, with God saying, I'm about to do something new. I'm going to bring back my people and restore Israel. This temple vision for Ezekiel was to say, look, I haven't abandoned you. I'm bringing back my presence. And this temple is to give you encouragement and hope for the future because I'm doing something new. Can you perceive it? So point number two, why does this matter? Because God's doing something new. He's creating a new relationship with his people. A really good question to ask today as we dive into the temple is, what is the purpose of a temple? The purpose of the temple was to house the presence of God, which God already proved to his people in Ezekiel 1 that he doesn't need the temple. The temple is here to remind us of God's presence with us. But he's doing something new. There's going to be a new and more magnificent temple than's ever existed. And God's creating relationship with us in a way that's never happened before. And that gave Ezekiel hope, and that should give us hope. But as Christians, today, we get to see even more of the picture than Ezekiel did. Because we get to see Jesus say, if you destroy this temple in three days, I will rebuild it. And the Jews thought he was crazy because they thought he was talking about Herod's temple. But Jesus was talking about himself. Jesus said, I am the temple. And his disciples realized it later that God's presence, Emmanuel, was dwelling with us. He was creating relationship in a new way we've never experienced before. And we get to experience Emmanuel, God with us. But as I was a kid, I kind of struggled with this one a little bit. I said, man, wouldn't it be so great to be with Jesus, to hear him teach, to see his miracles. Like just picturing myself sitting at the Sermon on the Mount and hearing Jesus speak, wondering what his tones of inflection was like, wondering what the sense of authority that everyone heard him teach with, what that felt like to hear it. And I thought, man, wouldn't it be so great to be with Jesus? But then Jesus says some funny things like to Thomas, he says, blessed are those who don't see, but believe. And so I thought like, what could be better than being with Jesus? And what Jesus says is, I go away so that I can send you a helper. If I don't go, the helper can't come. What's better than Jesus being here with us is the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. It is better to have God in us than God with us. But the beauty that we get to look forward to is both of those simultaneously. When Jesus comes back to make all things new, we get God with us and God in us. That's what we get to look forward to. But right now we get to experience God in us. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. It says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Point number three today of why this matters is you are the temple. We get the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. The world hates this. The world wants to see us living in despair and darkness without hope. But Jesus says, I come to give life and life to the fullest. You get to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit who is making you joyful and loving and patient and peaceful and kind and self-controlled. 
And that is good news for us. When I wake up and remember the hope that I get to look forward to and the reality that the Holy Spirit is living inside me today, there's purpose and meaning in my day. I don't just have to trudge my feet. We get to live with the life of the Holy Spirit. It says that Jesus is the wellspring of life and we get to have that dwelling in us and overflowing. If you want to experience life and life to the fullest, come to Jesus. You get to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. And this is the path that Jesus has led me on as I was like looking at this. So how in the world does this apply to us? God slowly brought me of scriptures important and applicable. And then he said, I'm doing something new. And that newness is new relationship. And that's what this temple represents. Now, as Christians, we get to see that that's fulfilled in us being the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I think it's important to go along those steps because we don't want to just say, all right, here's the Bible, apply it just to our lives. We want to understand what God is saying to us through it and then apply it accurately. So as I was looking at that, God said, you are the temple. And so I thought, great, this is so exciting. Let me look at this passage in a new light. And I started to read Ezekiel 40, 5 through 16. I could see a wall completely surrounding the temple area. The man took a measuring rod that was 10 and a half feet long and, the measuring, and measured the wall. And the wall was 10 and a half feet thick and 10 and a half feet high. Then he went over to the eastern gateway. He climbed the steps and measured the threshold of the gateway. It was 10 and a half feet from front to back. There were guard alcoves on each side built into the gateway passage. Each of these alcoves was 10 and a half feet square with a distance between them of eight and three quarters feet long along the passage wall. The gateway's inner threshold, which led to the entry room at the inner end of the gateway passage, was 10 and a half feet from front to back. He also measured the entry room of the end of the, gate, of the gateway passage, was 10 and a half feet from front to back. Um, he also measured the entry room to the gateway. It was 14 feet across with supporting columns, three and a half feet thick. The entry room was the inner end of the gateway structure facing the temple. Um, and that goes on through 16, and it goes on through the end of the chapter. And I thought, so how in the world does us being the temple, which got me really excited about being the temple of the Holy Spirit and diving back into it. And I went, what? So how does this apply? Really quickly, um, I spent probably three or four hours through this entire chapter um, with a pencil trying to map this out because I'm like, God, if it's important to you, I wanna be able to understand it. I wanna be able to visualize it. And after spending hours and hours and drawing a really bad picture, I decided I'll just look online. Surely someone out there has something better than my artwork. Because um, while God gives many people many giftings, drawing is not one of mine. So um, I found a video that I'm gonna share with you guys. It's from a different translation for some of the measurements. Um, and some people disagree slightly on how long a cubit or a cubit and a hand breadth is. So that's what are. Um, but we're gonna play this video and I want you guys to be able to see this description that Jesus had for the temple.
All right. Um, I found that video very helpful, and I thought instead of me taking 10 minutes to read the entire chapter, that would help us visualize it a lot better. Um, but also, we value Scripture, and everything in there is really important for a reason. So I don't do that video instead of Scripture lightly, but I think the visual is very helpful. Um, and the repetition means that it's very important, and it's easier for people to memorize when they're not having written scrolls in front of them. Um, but hopefully that video was helpful for you guys. And as I was reading through it, I was like, okay, great. Now I have this visual and this temple that's super detailed. And I thought, so if I'm the temple, why does this matter? Again, that's the question I kept coming back to. I was like, why is Ezekiel's temple important to us? And God said, remember Matthew 6, 26, where I said, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable than they are? Aren't you far more valuable than the birds? Aren't you far more valuable than this physical building? And that really struck me. See, God cares about the details of your life. And that's gonna be point number four for us today is God cares about all the details of your life. Just as God took the time to describe in eight, or eight chapters chapters 40 through 48, all of the details for this temple, God cares about all the details for your life. When I was young and to this day, I love dogs. I love dogs, always have loved dogs. And when I was a really small kid, my uncle had a brown dog named Copper. And I loved that dog. And all I wanted was my own brown dog like Copper. And so I started praying when I was three. I was like, Dear Jesus, I want a brown dog like copper. And God taught me a lot about prayer through that because see, I wasn't old enough to know you're not supposed to get discouraged when God doesn't answer a prayer. So I just kept praying it and I kept praying it. With childlike faith, I kept saying, Jesus, in your name, I want a brown dog. And by the time I was five and a half, we got a brown dog like copper that we named Willow. Unfortunately, Willow was too much like copper and they both ended up having like hip issues. And I was like, God, you have to take the prayer that seriously. Um, and then as I grew up, I was like, ooh, I'm getting that, that itch again for another dog. It's like, I'm in college. The college doesn't allow dogs. I can't have a dog. And then I got married and we graduated college and I was living at my parents' house to save money because housing was expensive. And I thought, man, I'm out of college. Maybe I can get my own dog now. So I started praying about it. I was like, God, I want a dog. Um, and I, I started to pray through it. But I thought, God, if I'm going to have a dog, I want to take good care of this dog that you've given me. So if I'm going to just move into an apartment or a condo, I don't want to have this dog that can't have the chance to go outside and just spend time outside. And I don't have the time to take the dog for walks twice a day. So I want a yard that the dog can spend time in so that I can care for this dog that you've given me well. I care about this detail for this dog that I want. And I went on a run and I was praying and processing through it. And I thought I heard God say, your next house will have a yard. And I thought, okay, God, is this you? Or is this just me trying to convince myself to get a dog? Because I really want a dog, but I want to be hearing from you clearly. And God was just like, no, I care about the details in your life, this small little detail about this dog but I care about the details. Your next house will have a yard. And so we started looking at houses and we looked at some townhomes and I was like, oh, this is great, but it doesn't have a yard. So 
I felt like God was saying I would. Or this condo is great, but it doesn't have a yard. And I thought God said, I'll give you a, a yard. And so this was the middle of COVID. We would put in $20,000 over asking price and be like, maybe we have a chance. And then the other realtor would come back and say, no, somebody put in $60,000 over asking price. And so we're just like, well, how's this going to work? And then we went in to make an offer on a house. And then our finance person called us and said, actually, interest rates just went up about a percent and a half since you last looked. You can no longer afford that house. And so my wife and I are like, Lord, how are we going to afford a house? And then we put in another bid and they said, oh, somebody else took it. So we're like, all right. And then they called us back and said, that bid didn't go through. And even though you didn't offer as much as the next person, they want to give it to you guys. So, all right, I, I guess we'll put the offer back in. And so God gave us this house with a nice, decent sized yard for my dog. And I was so thankful. And then my dog repaid me with digging up the entire yard after we reseeded it. So, but God cares about all of the details of your life. And that's a fun example, but God cares about the little details like that, but also the big details. When I graduated high school, I'm like, I want to go to college. I love learning. A degree would be helpful with getting a job. Where should I go? I knew I wanted a private Christian education. And so I started looking at some. I looked at like Taylor and IWU and Colorado Christian University and some others. And I loved a lot of them. But CCU offered the best scholarships. I loved a lot of them. But CCU was in the mountains. I love the mountains. I looked at a lot of them, but CCU offered every program I was interested in. I thought maybe I'll be a high school teacher. Maybe I'll do something with missions or teaching the Bible. Maybe I'll combine an outdoor leadership thing with counseling and do like backpacking trips to help lead people to trust me so I can share Jesus with them. And CCU had all of those. So I thought if I decide on one and change my mind, I can switch majors, whereas some of the other universities didn't which as with everyone that ended up happening, I was going to be a high school teacher and now I'm in front of you guys today. But I was worried about all these different details. How am I going to pay for college? Where am I going to go? And God lined up all of those details for me to go to CCU. But what I didn't know at the time was by me going to CCU, God brought me to my wife. I met Catherine at CCU. And so God aligned these little details of my life to bring me the best thing he's ever given me. God cares about all of the details of your life. This temple that God spends a long time explaining in detail all of the measurements, how much more does God care for you in the details of your life that he's got complete control over? So you might be like, I don't know about this job. It doesn't feel like God's lining things up. He's in control. He's got those details. And as Pastor Tasha likes to remind us, God's going to work all of it to God's glory and for our good. And our good, if we look at Romans in that promise, is to be conformed to the image of the Son, to be made more like Jesus. And God's got all of the details lined up to bring us there. And that was really encouraging to me because I was like, just seeing how in all of these numbers that I thought God would never be able to speak through brought me to such a realization of God's immense love for me in my life. But as I was looking at this passage, I started to have some questions. I said, well, that's great. I'm glad that you care about the detail, but I have more questions, Jesus. I'm still confused about why this passage is important. Because I looked at it, I'm like, the temple should be a place where God's people comes to worship him, right? Why are there walls? 
Why would there be boundaries and walls from God's temple? Look at Ezekiel 40, verse five. It says, I could see a wall completely surrounding the temple area. The man took a measuring rod that was 10 and a half feet long and measured the wall and the wall was 10 and a half feet thick and 10 and a half feet wide, high. I thought, that's a pretty intense wall. It's not the most impressive ever. It's not a hundred foot wall, but it's 10 and a half feet high and 10 and a half feet wide. That's a thick wall. Jesus, why would your temple have a wall? Wouldn't a wall be keeping people out? And then I looked at verse, or Ezekiel 43, trying to find some of the context of Ezekiel's temple. And this verse stood out to me and it says, and this is the basic law of the temple, absolute holiness. The entire top of the mountain where the temple is built is holy. Yes, this is the basic law of the temple. And so I thought if Jesus says it three times, in one spot saying, this is the absolute law of the temple, holiness. This is it, this is it, this is it, holiness. I thought maybe Ezekiel's temple is about holiness. And so if we are the temple of God, God desires the temple to be holy. We saw that in 1 Corinthians 6, where we said, you're not your own, you've been bought with a price. We need to keep the temple holy. And it reminded me of the story of Jesus in Luke. Luke 19 says, Then Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people selling animals for sacrifices. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. My house will be a house of prayer. As the temple with the spirit dwelling in us, God's calling us to be a house of prayer. And yet we let things distract us. We let things become a den of thieves in God's temple where he, dec- he cries for us to be absolutely holy. He says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Which brought me to my next point of God wants you to protect the temple. God wants you to protect the temple. As you are the temple, God wants you to have boundaries in place to protect the temple. Clear, set, established boundaries to protect the temple because we let things in that distract us from loving Jesus, from being the temple that he's called us to be. My wife and I for Lent gave up social media, which social media wasn't bad in itself, but I really enjoyed not being on social media. And it started to teach me how much it just drains me, distances me from people, distracts me from my family and from real relationship. See, Jesus desires real relationship with us And when we let things into the temple that distract us from that, we don't have real relationship with Jesus. Social media is one of those things that can do that. And I think one of the things that is so encouraging about Ezekiel 40 is God saying, I'm establishing real relationship with you in a way that you've never seen before. And that's what we exist here at Vanguard to do is to love others into a real relationship. So if God's temple was important to have walls to protect the temple, to establish real relationships, so should we. One of the things about social media that's shocking me, um, the Asbury revival happened on a college campus and has spread to several other college campuses since then. One of the number one responses to revival and outbreak of the Holy Spirit on college campuses is college kids who have been addicted to their phones for years are completely getting rid of social media. 
they're starting to realize that social media was distracting them from Jesus and they were setting a boundary to say, Jesus, there's nothing gonna be separating me from you. I'm gonna clearly set this boundary so that I can love you more fully. And as I was looking at this temple and seeing that God put walls around the temple for the safety of the temple, I just fell more in love with Jesus because he loved me enough to help me set up boundaries. I'm a new father and I love my daughter. And I care about her safety. If she starts to run out into the road, I'm going to stop her. And as she gets older, I'm going to keep explaining the road can be dangerous. We need to look both ways before we cross. Otherwise we might get hit by a car. And that seems so simple to all of us. And yet we have a God who loves us so much that he cares enough to tell us what's bad for us. He cares enough to say, I created you. I know what's good for you and I know what's harmful for you. So I'm going to clearly communicate what's good and what's bad. We wouldn't just let our kids run out into the road to get hit by a bus. Jesus is no different. He clearly explains what's good for us, which is him and what's bad for us. And he's calling us to set up those walls to keep the temple holy for our own good and safety because he loves us. And so I was looking at this and was very encouraged by God challenging me to have boundaries. But then the hard part about that is you have to follow through. Like if God wants you to set up boundaries, you have to follow through with them. So one of the boundaries my wife and I set up, with, or set up for ourselves is we're not gonna have social media in the bedroom because then we'll just sit in bed, both on our phones. And there's a big difference between being with each other and just being with each other. And so we said, this social media is distracting us from our relationship with each other. So we're gonna set up this boundary so that we can focus on real relationship with each other. That's what God's asking of us with boundaries. The walls aren't this bad thing. It's helping protect us so that we can have authentic, real relationship with Jesus. But I started to look at it and I thought, the most time in this chapter is spent on gates. Why gates was my next question. What do gates have to do with our relationship with Jesus? And as I started looking at it, I started looking at some examples of gates. And so Ruth 4, 1 and 2, is the story of Boaz going to redeem Ruth and Naomi. And it says, Boaz went down to the town gate and took a seat there. Then Boaz called the 10 leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. Now, one of my first thoughts was, how does a gate fit 10 people? Because in my mind, it was just like a door that was swinging. But as we saw in this video, the gates were more like tunnels with these alcoves that people could sit in. Proverbs 31, 23 says, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. So point number six for us today is God wants you to have gates. But God also wants you to have gatekeepers. Just as these elders, these people of wisdom and insight were sitting in the gates, God wants you to have people sitting in your gates. Because see, gates in fortified cities were meant for two purposes. Letting people in to the city for marketplace and everything, but also keeping enemies out. So just as we're called to have boundaries and borders, we're also called to have gates. Galatians 5, 19 through 23 says, now the work of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, 
sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Things like addictions, things like letting porn into your life can derail your relationship with Jesus. And again, something like social media, which may not inherently be bad, can lead down the roads to this list of sin. God is saying, there is a gate for a reason. You need to keep some of these things or some of these people who lead you to these things out of your life. But then Galatians 5, 19 through 23 continues by saying, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. These are the types of things that God wants to, you to let into your life. And as with a gate, some things need to come in and some things need to be kept out. But that gets really hard. How do we discern what to let in and what to let out? But just like all of the gates in Israel had people of wisdom, elders sitting in the gate, we need to have people in our lives that help us to discern what is good and what is not good for us. Now, Revelation says, Jesus, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If God is standing at the gate to your life, you should let him in. And that seems really simple to us as Christians. It's like, oh yes, Jesus wants into my life, of course. But that comes with stuff. Jesus wants to make your life better, but that means if there's something in the temple that shouldn't be in the temple, Jesus is gonna wanna get it out of the temple. And sometimes that can be a painful process for us. Whether that's a toxic person, addictions that we have, those weights and sins that weigh us down, Jesus wants to get that out of the temple because you've already let it in. But if you're letting Jesus in, that means he wants absolute holiness for the temple and he has to get rid of any imperfections. What in your life needs to have that gate closed so it's not coming into your life, into your temple, so that you can have that authentic, real relationship with Jesus? What or who in your life do you need to let in to become more like Jesus? The pastors and the elders and the leadership of this church would love to help you discern what is good and healthy for you. Strong biblical community that's focused on the triune God is really good and healthy for you and can help you discern what to let in and what not to let in. The question for you guys today is, who in your life do you need to let in? And as we saw in this temple, there's actually multiple courtyards and multiple gateways. Maybe someone comes through the first gateway, but not the second. Maybe somebody needs to be kept out completely. But Jesus wants real and authentic relationship with you and he wants to limit any distractions that are gonna keep you from him. So just as the temple where the Holy Spirit is dwelling, we are called to have gateways and boundaries. What boundaries do you need to set going forward this week to fall more in love with Jesus? Who do you need to let in to help you fall more in love with Jesus? And what gates do you need to close? I want you guys to think about that as we head out this week. Let's pray. Uh, Triune God, we are just so thankful for your immense love for us, that you would care so much about us, that you would spend these chapters describing your temple so that we could fall more in love with you. Holy Spirit, thank you for opening our eyes to your scripture and ways to apply it to our life. But God, walls and boundaries and gateways are hard. Would you give every person in this room and every person watching online 
the discernment, the wisdom to know what gates to close and what gates to open, who to let in and who to keep out. Jesus, that's hard and we can't do it on our own. So would you lead us? Would you guide us in that? And as we go from here, would you help us to actually live that out? Jesus, thank you for loving us so much to send the Holy Spirit, that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Jesus, we love you. um, And we just thank you so much for your love. Jesus, if anyone in this room hasn't experienced you before, as you stand at the gate and knock, would you help them to open the door to you potentially for the first time and let you in so they can experience the fullness of your presence? We love you, Jesus, and we pray all this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vanguard Central Podcast. We encourage you to go out and live your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. God bless you, friend. See you next time.